I love these little sections of the Bible that talk about athletics. Most of you know that uh, athletics have been a big part of my life for almost uh, I don't know, 18 to 20 years. I coached a variety of sports, football, basketball, baseball. I was really a basketball coach for many years, high school, college, junior high school. Uh, competed in sports as for as long as I can remember. Uh, lettering in football and basketball and baseball in high school and you know, lettering again and, and football and swimming and things like that in college. And in fact, this last October, Nancy and I went up to my college and I was part of a group of athletes that were inducted to our Athletic Hall of Fame. I was uh, inducted with a group of guys in what they called the Era of Excellence in a, in a short period of time. Uh, our small high school of 150 won a football ch state football championship, a state basketball championship, uh, won three state baseball championships, were runner-up another year. So athletics have been a big part of my life. In fact, I even get sick every year about the same time. I come down with a bad case of March Madness, <laughs> and I have to stay home uh, on Thursday and Friday and Saturday and as much of Sunday as I can, and I, I need massive doses of college basketball to recover. So I like texts like this that talk about winning wisdom, kind of athletic prowess. In our text I just read you tonight, Paul, I don't know if you caught it here, you can look at it again, it says, everyone who competes in the games, he was talking about the ancient Grecian games that we know today as the Olympics. I mean, he talked about running a race. He talked about fighting like a boxer. You know, he talked about, you know, beating the air, shadow boxing. He talks about competing for a prize. It's interesting that he observes that there are principles common to both athletes and Christians. I remember when I got to my first church, the local newspaper, the Belvedere Daily Republican, came and they wanted to do an interview with me. And they said, well, here you are. You've been coaching high school and just finishing college basketball, now you're a pastor, is there any comparison? Got to be really different. And I said, no, not really. It's just that as a pastor, they rarely ever boo you out loud. <laughs> but there are a lot of comparisons because you've, you've got cheerleaders, both in sports, you've got ticket takers, we call them ushers today, people hand out the programs. You've got players that you're trying to work with, and sometimes you yell at them. Sometimes you plead with them. There's a lot of comparisons. So Paul says, too, there's a lot of comparisons between athletes and Christians. In fact, he said, you know, there's a need for motivation. He said there's a need for self-control, and there's a need for exercise. All of those things are necessary for you to win the prize. Now, it, it, he said in the text here again, uh, that they all run, and they're, they're hoping to obtain that prize. Now, the, the Greek word for obtain is katalambano. That's another great Greek word, katalambano. It, it literally means to apprehend or attain or obtain or find. And when you're thinking about the public games, the Grecian games, the Olympics, it, it, it's, it's to obtain that prize with that kind of eager and strenuous exertion. If you ever watch the Olympics, you ever watch the guys who run the marathon, which 
to me is pretty nuts, actually. I mean, 26 miles, 385 yards. I could do the 385. Uh, but, you know, these guys strain to do that. You ever watch those Olympic weightlifters grunt and moan? You know, strenuous exertion. And they're doing that to grasp or seize some prize. Now, whether you're an athlete or a Christian, there are, there are, I think, three things necessary to obtain the prize. It really takes what I would call winning wisdom. Sadly, we got a lot of Christian athletes who are more into whining wisdom. I'm never going to get there. Life is too hard. But we want to be winners, not whiners. I want to talk about some things that you know, Christian athletes need. One of them is the importance of motivation. Now, in the life of an athlete, the proper motivation is necessary to win. And, and different motives make a, a big difference. You know, some people in a race, some people run to win. I mean, there are some type A people, they, they got to win everything they're in. I mean, they, they just... Michael Jordan is a great example. Michael Jordan just has his attitude. I don't care whether he's playing golf or shooting pool or whether he was, you know, trying to play baseball or basketball. He had to win. That was just his mindset. Now, there are some other people who compete, and they only do so for health. I mean, because it makes them feel better. They're healthier when they do some athletic work. And then there are some people who basically don't care much one way or the other. They're really not worried about their health not really worried about winning a race. They just kind of enjoy going out for a walk or a run or whatever. Now, the successful athlete in Paul's days was motivated by, probably not a gold medal, but by a wreath that was made out of an olive branch. Placed around your head. It looked nice for a while. It died after a period of time. It was a perishable crown, uh, but it was one that uh, actually represented fame and glory, motivated the athletes to excel. Uh, and I don't know whether you know this about the early Olympic Games, at least put something on them, because most people way back in the early Olympics competed nude. I don't know if you knew that. So at least you had something on if you won. You had a little <laughs> olive branch. Now, in the life of the Christian, uh, the proper motivation is likewise necessary. And, and different things motivate people. I mean, there are some people who are Christian uh, to please their conscience. It makes them feel better to be a Christian. There are some people uh, who are Christians to please their mom or dad or grandma or grandpa. Uh, some are Christians because of some pleasant, uh, present blessings. You know, they, they like this peace of mind that comes with being a Christ follower. Now, there's all kinds of motives for being involved in the Christian church, for being a Christian. Uh, I mean, every last one of us, we could probably go through and say, what moved you uh, ultimately towards being a Christ follower? And we all have different motivations of one kind or another. But the Christian, uh, successful Christian is motivated by what lies beyond that race. Paul talks about, you know, in the Olympics they ran for this perishable wreath, uh, but he says here we're running for an imperishable crown, one that we'll have for a long time. It's the so-called crown of righteousness that Paul talks about in 2 Timothy. He said there's, a, there's an incorruptible inheritance that waits for us just beyond the finish line. Now, just as Jesus, remember, he said Jesus endured the cross, 
for the joy that was set before him. It was like Jesus had a 33-year run. And he was constantly pushing to the end, you know, where, and, but when he crossed that finish line on the cross, he did it for the joy that was set before him. Now, what motivates you as a Christian? What motivates your running the race? You ought to read Laura's uh, blog the other day about 99 grumpy sheep or something like that. You know, some Christians aren't very motivated. I remember a long time ago at a conference, someone said, anytime you want to start a new program, start with the newest people in your church. About the only way to move old members is with dynamite, and that only moves them into the hereafter. <laughs> some people aren't very motivated. I shared an adult Bible class last week how we're the body of Christ, but Christ is the head, and the head says, okay, let's go, and the feet stand there and go, uh-uh. Don't feel like it. Uh, contribute to world missions, and the hands go into the pocket, and so say, not today. Not motivated. They don't care what the head says. But we know that uh, in the life of um, an athlete, we have to have motivation, but we also need to have self-control. Now, I've been in athletics long enough to know that in the life of an athlete, successful athletes are pretty temperate in all things. Uh, they exercise a certain amount of self-control in their diet. There are certain things they, they will eat, certain things they won't eat. They worry about the amount of sleep, not too much, not too little. They follow training schedules. Uh, they often forego a lot of uh, social activities. You know, they're not staying up all night. They're not out partying all the time. And self-control even means doing it even when you don't feel like it. Uh, growing up in Nebraska, I always remember early football in August. And uh, August in Nebraska is not a whole lot different sometimes than August in Texas. And I can remember those two-a-days in Nebraska. And when you'd be up there at 6 o'clock in the morning and go in that locker room, and you had to put on that damp stuff that was still hanging there from the day before. I tell you, the only thing worse than that was having to get out of bed. I was on the swim team in college, and my wife and I, I don't know how far we lived away from the campus, but it was a pretty long way when we got married, and I would have to get up in the morning for swim team practice before school. And I tell you, when you're standing there on the end of the pool, and the coach says, okay, and you're standing there shivering because it's probably only about 60 degrees inside that indoor pool. And he says, okay, we're going to start off with 50-yard sprints. And he, he says, on the whistle, and he blows, and everybody's still standing there. <laughs> well, but, you know, you do some things even though you know you don't feel like it. I, I've actually told players. I had a I player one time when I said, we're going to do this. He said, I don't feel like it. <laughs> I, I said, okay, I don't feel like having you on the team either anymore. Uh, sometimes you've got to learn to do things even when you don't feel like it. Many of you know Lance Armstrong, won the Tour de France many times, bike rider. Listen to what he said. When it's pouring rain and you have to go and ride six hours in the mountains, there's no fun in doing that. When I coach teams in Hong Kong and I'm at an American school and I've got juniors and seniors in high school, I found out that a lot of our competition was against U.S. Navy ships where my 16, 17, 18-year-old boys were playing 22, 23, 24, 25, you know, 30-year-old Marines and Navy guys. And I was absolutely bound and determined that they may beat us eventually, but they were never going to out-hustle us. They would never out-condition us. 
you know, we would really put in the work so that at the end, you know, we could just hang in there. Well, in the life of a Christian, guess what? Self-control is, is necessary too. Paul said that in the, in the text in verse 27. He said, I beat my body, make it a slave. Now, uh, self-control, it's necessary to do that to overcome this flesh. You know, people today say, you know, my get up and go is got up and gone. Or people say, well, I felt like doing something, but I laid down till the feeling went away. Well, that's the work of the flesh. That's what happens sometimes in Christianity. The indwelling spirit, whether it comes in baptism, whether it comes later in life, we got the spirit living in us, and it helps us live this life of self-control, but it doesn't remove the struggle. I mean, I really wish it would. I'm a Christian. Now I'm home free. I really wish that were the case. I wish everything were easier. But you still need to do things that seem difficult. You even need to do things even when you don't feel like it. You know, if you have ever said, I'm going to read through the Bible this year a little bit at a time, you know that's a good thing. But there are days when you look at that Bible and it's laying there on your desk, and you just kind of go, mm, I'll catch up tomorrow. No, you just do it whether you like to or not. I mean, self-control is a necessary complement to proper motivation. Without it, motivation alone is not going to succeed. But along with motivation for the Christian, along with self-control is the importance of exercise. Now, in the life of an athlete, exercise is pretty impressive. If you ever study, honest to goodness, world-class athletes. Long-distance runners train 10 to 20 miles a day. Swimmers, it's not uncommon for them to do 10 miles a day just to stay competitive. World-class gymnasts work out eight to nine hours a day. I mean, such training, such exercise is essential. And particularly if you want to be competitive, uh, you endure the hardships of competition. Uh, you want to come out in a victor at the end, and so you've got to put in the work to get it done. Now, in the Christian life, same thing. There is a need for what we might call godly exercise, to practice winning wisdom. I mean, uh, offering, you know, the, the neat thing about Christian exercise is you get, uh, you get something right now, and you get something a little bit later. There are benefits for your life right now. There are, there's a promise for the life to come. Now, what would you consider to be good spiritual exercise? Uh, some of you, when I showed the thing about uh, Haiti, there was a picture of a smiling woman. There was a big hand on the wall. I don't know if you remember that picture. I had taught that. I had everybody take a sheet of paper, trace their hand. And I said, okay, I'm going to teach you now how to really get a grip on your Bible. And I said, you know, write on your thumb, listen. You know, listen to the word. On this finger, write, uh, read, this, read the word. On the middle finger, Study the word, and of course the big difference between reading, listening, and studying is called a pencil. It means making some notes, and then memorize it. I'm not going to mention the person's name, but somebody came up to me a couple weeks ago and said, Pastor, you know when you're talking about some people can't memorize anything? He said, I went home and I memorized the whole chapter of the Bible. We can memorize. 
And when we memorize it, we meditate on it, and then we, in the middle of our hand we write the word apply. That's how we get a good grip on everything. I mean, that's part of godly exercise. For some people, the only Bible they hear all week is when I read it on Wednesday or one of our readers read it to them on Sunday. You do more than just listen. Do you read it? Do you study it? Do you meditate on it? Do you cogitate on it? Do you memorize it? Do you, then, of course, the big thing, do you apply it? Well, diligence in, in, in uh, handling the, the word of truth. The Bible talks about how if you know the truth, well, not only will the truth set you free, but if you actually know the truth of God's word, you don't fall for every piece of nonsense that comes down the road. And I'm, I'll tell you, Mark, I don't know whether you'll get this stuff someday when you're a pastor. I'm amazed at the nonsense people have approached me with in my 25 years as a pastor, that they've heard on television shows or heard on the radio or watched and heard this. It's just absolutely amazing. I was telling somebody before, I, I, I took a Baptist pastor to task today. I convinced him he was a Lutheran. <laughs> he says, what's this thing about closed communion? I said, no such thing. I said, closed communion is practiced by people with closed minds. I mean, it just closed me. We're not letting anybody in. You know, we're going to check your Lutheran card at the door. And I said, we need to talk about close communion. Close. And that we have to have doctrinal standards. And we, we ask people, you know, to agree or disagree. He said, well, we do that. And I said, well, for example, uh, would you uh, accept this as a, a valid entry into communion? And I picked up a copy of our bulletin. And I read to him what we have written on the inside of ours. He said, yeah, I believe that. And I said, you're not Baptist. I said, you're Lutheran. In fact, you're Missouri Synod Lutheran. <laughs> and see, honest to goodness, he didn't know. He never read 1 Corinthians where it talks about how you can actually, how people got sick and died because they took communion improperly. He hadn't handled the word. You know, it's communing with the Lord in prayer. Now, I... I understand that these prayers are okay. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. Now I lay me down to sleep. And then the one we repeat ad nauseum, our Father who art in heaven. Those are all good prayers, not speaking against them. But for some people, those are the only prayers they know. That's okay. But I'm saying maybe we ought to be able to just pray. You know, come tonight, we come to eat pizza, who's going to pray? You know, there's always a pregnant pause. You know, but the old G-dog back there, Garrett, he said, I pray. Now, can you get your tongue all tangled up when you pray? Sure, who cares? God hears it, God understands, God speaks every language, even tongue tangling. He even speaks German. Speaks it all. You know, communion with the Lord in prayer, just talking to him. You know, meditating on things worthy of virtue and praise. You know, just, you know, the Bible says there's, there's no law against thinking of good things. But, oh, man, so many people practice stinking thinking. You know, loving each other with sincerity. Yeah, you know, there's a great picture. You were at the funeral the other day of Jay Rowe. And they were showing the pictures before the service. And there's a picture of John Folks. 
and Jay walking kind of into the sunset. In fact, John put that picture on Facebook today and it said, best friends. You know, walking hand in hand. I mean, literally to love one another. Uh, and then offering diligent, fervent service to the Lord, to the brothers. You know, and, and not to do it to win praise or brownie points. You, you serve. You serve because that's what God asked you to do. Now, certainly, if you're engaged in such exercise as a, a, a true spiritual athlete, you can run that race with certainty. I mean, that's what Paul says here in verse 26. He said, uh, therefore, I don't run like a man running aimlessly. And some people are just all over the place. I mean, I learned that a long time ago in football. I mean, the shortest distance between two places is a straight line. You know, you can run, you know, I've seen guys run 20, 30 yards and gain a yard. No, you, you've got a purpose. Uh, you, you fight the good fight with a purpose. And when you do that, those efforts are not in vain, you know, when they're, when they're accompanied by the right motivation. What is my motivation? I can tell you what my motivation is, very simply, my love for Jesus Christ. That's my motivation for everything I do. I mean, if you ask me, why do you do that? I'd say, because I love Jesus. I mean, why do you contribute? Why do you put money in the offering plate? Because I love Jesus. Why are you a pastor? I love Jesus. You know, why would you be nice to your wife or kids? I love Jesus. Uh, why would you go to Haiti? I love Jesus. You know, why would you do this nice thing? Because I love Jesus. Does that mean I, I'm perfect? Absolutely not. But that's my motivation. And then to practice some self-control along with it. Now, I'm going to end up by just asking you, are you obtaining the prize? Do you have winning wisdom, or are you still suffering from whiny wisdom? That's why you need to make sure that you listen to Paul's words that say, run in such a way that you may obtain it. And then also take heart from his words that you find later in this same chapter. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not vain in the Lord. May God bless all of you as you run the race with wisdom. Well, our